Well, welcome again, everybody. It's great to see you all here, and um, it's great to have a few people back that we haven't seen for a while. Not only Bart and Inika, but um, haven't, I haven't seen Sam for a while, so it's great to have Sam here as well. <coughs> and there's a few other people I haven't seen before. Sophie, you've brought a friend. Who's, who's your friend? Number three grandson. Right. What, what's your name? John. Hi, John. I'm Michael. Nice to meet you. I know a few other people in your family. Oh, I bet you. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as Adrian mentioned, we've been looking at the life of a disciple um, for quite a few weeks now. And I just want to remind you... Uh, help me here, Will. just got to have things turned on it makes a huge difference <laughs> I want to remind you that the life of a disciple is not just about our own personal journey and about us following Jesus and about us learning to imitate him and to um, become more his likeness it's also about us engaging with others and helping them to find and follow Jesus um, and, and learn to imitate him and to become more like him and, and not only that, it's about encouraging and supporting and helping them to, to help others to find and follow Jesus. So it's, it's an ongoing multiplication, generation to generation, um, neighbour to neighbour, you know, whatever it might be, that there's a thing about being a disciple that is helping others to become disciples and helping them to then help others become disciples, which is exactly what Jesus did. So if we're following Jesus and learning to follow him better, we're learning to follow him in that way, that we train and coach and encourage and caution and guide others. And then we, we help them to be able to do that for others. So keep that in mind uh, as we work through this series on the life of a disciple <laughs> and today we're looking at the life of a disciple in the home last week we looked at the life of a disciple where in the temple and my point here is if those two things don't reflect each other <coughs> You know, there shouldn't be a difference between the life of a disciple in the temple and the life of a disciple in the home. The two things should reflect each other. Otherwise, what are we? Yes. Otherwise, we're a hypocrite. And if you, you don't have to study the New Testament too carefully, the Gospels too carefully, to learn what Jesus thought about hypocrites, do you? In fact, if there's one class of people that Jesus singled out for over-the-top criticism, it was hypocrites. He was more harsh towards hypocrites, really, than towards all the other different classes of, um, if, if you like, sinners that he came across in his ministry. He showed grace and mercy and forgiveness and healing. And then he singled out the hypocrites and said, uh-uh, don't be like them. 
And if you have a look at Matthew chapter 23, six times in that one chapter of Matthew's gospel, Jesus singles out hypocrites. It's there in each of those verses, 13, 15, 23, 25, 27, 29, and he says the same thing each time about hypocrites. What does he say? It will be bad for you teachers of the law and you Pharisees. You are hypocrites. And in what way were they hypocrites? Yes. And what they did in the temple where they thought they were before God was different to what they were doing in the home where they were going about their daily life. They were hypocrites. And what did, what did Jesus say about them? Let's look at just one of those six uh, different ver verses in Matthew chapter 23. You give a tenth of the food you get, even your mint, your dill, and your cumin. So even the herbs you pick out of your garden, you measure them. I've got 100 grams of mint here and you, you separate out 10 grams of mint and you take that to the temple and you offer it to God. You even do that. That's how much trouble you go to to observe the law, to give a tenth. But you don't obey the really important teachings of the law. Being fair, showing mercy and being faithful. So they're measuring out the cumin and the dill and the mint and, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done this right. And they're not even doing the really important stuff. And Jesus pointed straight at them and, and said, you're hypocrites. That's what a hypocrite is. These are the things you should do. Being fair, showing mercy and being faithful. And you should also continue to do those other things, but you've got to do these really important things. You guide the people, but you're blind. <laughs> And we think about the life of a disciple, part of it is guiding others. You cannot do that if you're blind. And they were blind to their own shortcomings and their own failings and the way in which their life in the temple did not reflect their life in the big wide world. That's what made them hypocrites. He said, think about a man picking a little fly out of his drink. Now, why would, why would a, a teacher of the law or a Pharisee pick a fly out of his drink? Do you know why? There's a law about what you can eat and what you can't eat. And you can't eat flies. Who would have thought? You can eat crickets and locusts, but you can't eat flies. So think about a man picking a fly out of his drink and then swallowing a camel. And you said, that, you're like that. You're hypocrites, because you'll go to all the trouble of picking the fly out of your drink, but then a nice big juicy camel, you'll just eat it. And why couldn't they eat a camel? Same thing. Read the, the law about what food you can eat and what food you can't eat. You can't eat camels or pigs or crayfish if you're a follower of the law in the Old Testament time. So that's what this is talking about. All right. So I just want to... I didn't really want to overplay it, but I want to point out what Jesus thought about hypocrites. And, and he really 
laid it on hypocrites. So last week, we looked at the temple. And in Old Testament times, the temple was the dwelling place of God. It was a super holy place. In fact, the nation of Israel, the people in the nation of Israel at that time, three times a year, they would come from wherever they lived in the land of Israel, they would spend days walking to be in Jerusalem at the temple for the big festival. Passover was one, a couple of other festivals. And we know this even from Jesus' time. When Jesus was a child, what was that all about? They travelled from Nazareth to the temple for one of the festivals. Now, do you know how far that is? It's 140 kilometres. And they didn't have an aeroplane or a train or a car. You know, they walked. And if they were lucky, they maybe got to ride on a donkey. But the whole family... Jesus, Mary and Joseph, etc., travelled 140 kilometres from Nazareth to Jerusalem to be in the special place where God dwelt for the celebration of the, the festival. So that's how important it was to them. But we know that the dwelling place of God is in the hearts and minds of His followers. When Jesus died on the cross, the, the veil in the temple was torn in two. That was a significant moment when Jesus died on the cross. That the dwelling place of God was no longer in the temple. It was in the hearts and minds of people that followed Jesus. What does that mean? That's us. What does that mean for us? God dwells in us. We are super holy in the sense that God dwells in us. But we have to live as if that's true. It is true, that, but that defines the way we should live. Not keep all the special stuff, the special holy stuff to present at the temple, because that's not where God lives anymore. God lives in us, and we have to offer our whole lives to Him as a special offering you know the fate of the nation of Israel rose and fell on the way in which they worshipped God in the temple and what do I mean by that they brought false idols into the temple and set them up in God's dwelling place and started worshipping those false idols or they tried to move, if you like, move the temple to a tree and built a special idol here and worshipped the God of the trees or whatever it was, or, or maybe up on a hill somewhere. And so they worshipped all these false gods, and when they did, the fate of the nation of Israel fell. And when a good king came along and said, right, we're not doing that anymore, destroyed all these false altars, threw the false gods out of the temple and reinstated proper worship in the temple, the fate of the nation of Israel rose again. And it just goes like this through history. And you can read about it in Kings and Chronicles and Samuel, in the prophets. That's what happened in Old Testament times. 
if the dwelling place of God is in our hearts and minds, the same pattern is true for us in our lives. And we need to maintain a life lived as Jesus lived his life in order to give proper respect for the special holiness that arises from God dwelling in us as his followers. And I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about God dwelling in us and in our homes and what that should mean for us as followers of Jesus. Because wherever we go in the world, and and we are asked to go into the whole world, aren't we? Wherever we go in the world, God is dwelling in us. God's dwelling in the whole world. He's dwelling wherever we go. So, let's look at our homes. Righto. Has anybody ever walked into your home with a bucket of dirt and just upended it in the middle of the living room floor? Better not, Bernie said. What would you do? You'd act straight away. You would see it for what it was straight away, wouldn't you? And you'd act. You'd do something. So that's probably never happened. Maybe a kid's bought a bucket of sand in once or twice. All right, I get that. What about this? Has that ever happened in your home? It, it happens. It happens. What is it about this? As soon as it happens, it's annoying, but you see it straight away, do you? Don't you? Do you, don't you? You see it straight away. And what do you do? Yeah, what else? Get your shoes off, get back outside, you know. You kick your shoes off, you clean it up. Because you can see it. You know it's there. All right. How many of you have ever, or recently, done this? You hire the carpet cleaning machine from Bunnings and you you clean all the carpets. Who's done that? Who's done it recently? You haven't done this. There's only a handful of people that have ever done this. Okay, all right. And if you're like me, you look at the carpet and you think, that looks pretty good, I'm not even sure that needs a clean. But Mary can see something I can't see. I might notice there's a bit of, yeah, I spilt some coffee and I can sort of see the stain, but to me it looks pretty good. Well, bucket after bucket after bucket of this, you realise just how much dirt was trapped in the carpet. It's unbelievable. How many know, know what I'm talking about? I mean, the carpet, if you did that here now, I guarantee this is what you would get. But look at the carpet. You think, oh yeah, that looks pretty good. But there is just so much dirt ingrained in in the carpet that you haven't even seen come into your house. You haven't seen it, but it's there. And you don't find it until you get the big heavy-duty cleaner and and, and have a go. It's incredible. All right. Doesn't sound very scriptural. But I'm telling you, there's something in this. You know, like there's, there's some obvious stuff that might come into our homes that we see straight away and we shut the door on it and we deal with it. 
like the bucket of dirt. And there's other stuff that, again, people have got dirty boots and they come in. There's stuff like that. When it comes into our homes, we see it straight away and we deal with it. But what I'm talking about here is the, the things that find their way into your home and go unnoticed and they're there. And they affect the way that we live as followers of Jesus. They're in our home. And our home, through us, is a dwelling place of God and we're letting dirt, and I'm talking spiritually and I'm talking about sin, we let dirt into our home and a lot of the time we don't even realise it's there. And that's what I really want to talk about this morning. All right, so we're going to have a bit of a look at a blueprint for our home what it should look like and maybe this will prompt us to make some changes in our home all right okay this is from galatians is that where i'm looking yes it is chapter 5 verses 19 to 21 and these are things that ought not be in our home and they're listed there. The wrong things the sinful self does are clear. Committing sexual sin, being morally bad, doing all kinds of shameful things, worshipping false gods, taking part in witchcraft, hating people, causing trouble, being jealous, being angry, being selfish, causing people to argue and to divide into separate groups, being filled with envy, getting drunk, having wild parties, and doing other things like this. I warn you now, as I warned you before, the people who do these things will not have a part in God's kingdom. That's a pretty harsh judgment. And I would say, if you can find these things and evidence of these things in your home, you've got work to do. If you read this passage, you've got work to do. Now, look at these things. Some of these things are like the bucket of dirt, aren't they? Like, they're, they're so big and ugly and obvious that if you saw it, you would know it was there and you would know to deal with it. And some of them are a bit like the dirty boots tracking in on the nice white carpet in the lounge room. You'd see it straight away and you think, no, that's not right, I've got to deal with that. But there's other stuff in this list you may not realise it's there. You know, it's just a little bit come in on someone's boots over time and then the next person, next person, and something's built up, hidden in the fibres of the carpet that shouldn't be there. What are some of the things in this list that might fall into that category? Nice and loud so I can hear. Jealousy. Jealousy. Yeah, what else? 
anger. What else? Selfishness. Arguments. Causing division. Envy. Yeah. Worshipping false gods. What's an example of a false god in our society? Money. Yep. Stuff. All right. So, you know, I'm telling you, what we've just described is bucket after bucket after bucket of filthy, dirty water. You know, like if you've got the spiritual equivalent of a carpet cleaner from Bunnings and hired it for a day and went through your house, you'd get bucket after bucket after bucket of this stuff. And we need to deal with it. So, if I can have a few helpers. Thanks. Can you just drop half a dozen of those on each table? I'm, I'm handing out some little blueprints and what I would like you to do at your table is to talk about stuff that might have found its way into your home that you've realised probably shouldn't be there anymore. And in a minute we'll look at the other side of the ledger, but this is, this is stuff, you know, that you feel convicted ought to be dealt with. And you might need to spend a little bit of time reflecting and praying about it before you do it, because it, you might not be able to see it first up. And so you might need to see it with God's eyes rather than with your own eyes. That should be, that should be all. Thanks. So I'm just going to leave you to this for a while. You might want to quietly pray yourself. You might want to quietly pray as a group first. And then just have a bit of a... Thanks, Robin. Have a bit of a conversation about the sorts of things that you might have in your home or might have found their way into your home that ought not be there. And as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, we want to clean things up. With Jesus as our guide, with, with God dwelling in our hearts and minds, we want to commit to holiness. And, and being holy means getting rid of stuff that ought not be a part of our lives. So I'm going to be quiet for a while and uh, just let you think through that and if you want to write something down just to jog your memory you want to write something down right I've decided I'm going to do this write it down this is a change I'm going to make I'm going to go through my bookshelf and chuck out any books that that God convinces me ought not be in my home anymore I've done that a few times in my life and um, I might do it again in the future but this that's the sort of thing DVDs Patterns of behaviour. Also, I'll leave it to you. Just whatever God convicts you about. Now, we shouldn't just focus on negative stuff all the time, should we? We don't want to be only thinking about what not to do or what ought not be there. We also want to be thinking about what we can do and what ought to be there. So the other side of this... Uh, 
account, if you like, is the things that should be in our homes. And it's in the same passage of Scripture, the very next few verses in Galatians. So first it tells you what ought not be there, all the stuff that I've now crossed out. And then it tells you what ought be in your home. (laughs) That's good. Here it is, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 26. But the fruit that the Spirit produces in a person's life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these kinds of things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their sinful self, have crucified their sinful self, they have given up their old selfish feelings and the evil things they wanted to do, we get our new life from the Spirit, so we should follow the Spirit. We must not feel proud, we must not boast about ourselves, we must not cause trouble for each other or be jealous of each other. So this passage includes a list of things that should be evident in the way we live our life. If the Spirit is in us, if God is dwelling in us. And so, as we dwell in our homes, how do we promote these fruit in our homes? What could we do in our homes that shows other people that come into our homes that we're followers of Jesus? What can we do that will help them feel love, joy, peace, to experience patience and kindness? So, Let's spend a bit of time doing that now at our tables. You know, the flip side of the ledger. These are the things that we might want to deal with and get rid of now that we realise they're there. They've been sneaking up on us. Let's get rid of them now. Let's make a decision. We're going to deal with them. And let's make a decision about the things that we're going to amplify and and, and promote in our homes. And how are we going to do that? So just do that yourselves in your own groups think of things you might change in your home that would shine the light of Christ more effectively now this has been a journey some of us have been on for decades and and we probably feel that we give ourselves at least seven out of ten for this you know we've been thinking about it over the years many times but we know we can always improve we can always do better And we shouldn't boast about what we might have achieved. We need to continue to focus on how much we fall short of our model, which is Jesus himself. And what is there still left in my life or in my home that I could improve upon to better display these fruits? Right, once again, I'll leave you with that for a while, just to discuss and jot down anything that you'd like to jot down as a reminder or a prompt or a commitment that you've made. Okay. (coughs) I I know I'm interrupting. And I think we should treat this as a work in progress. That means it's not necessarily finished right now. 
How many of you have ever had a hand in drawing up some house plans? Yeah? Did you get it exactly right the first time you sat down with a piece of paper and a pen? No. What did you have? What did you never? What did you have to do? Come back to it over and over and over again. Talk to a few other people, etc. I encourage you to do the same thing with this. You know, because in the short time that we've had now, we've really just opened up the subject and had some preliminary thoughts about it. That's a bit like saying, yeah, we've got three kids, so we need four bedrooms and two living areas. It's just a start, <laughs> all right? There's a few other things we probably end up having to think about when we're trying to plan our house. Hey, Claire. <laughs> all right? You know, you come back to it and, and you sort of, it changes a little bit over time and you get some bits that you realise, oh, we hadn't thought about that, we'd better add that in, whatever it might be. Can I ask you to do the same thing with this? If you feel convicted, I don't, I don't want to push you into a space that you just don't feel is for you at all. That's, that I'm not going to make any judgement about that, that's fine. But if you actually feel, yeah, this is something I think I need to put a bit more effort into, please do that. Take the piece of paper home with you. Spend a little of time on your own in prayer and reflection with God about it and see what He confirms and prompts and, and so on in, in a spiritual sense. But also sit down and talk about it. You might feel convicted to sit down with your family and talk about it. You know, with your kids, if, if they're old enough. Well, even the young ones can contribute. I'd, you'd be surprised, or maybe not. Um, maybe as a family, you, you sort of go through this exercise. Maybe you want to have a coffee with someone else in the fellowship, or, or even not in the fellowship, someone else. You say, look, I feel quite challenged by this, but it's a bit of a struggle. I don't actually understand where to start, or I don't know if this is significant or not. Can you help me work it out and just have a coffee and a chat and pray together about it but keep working on this keep working on it and it could be that God wants to use you to help someone else who is not as far along this journey as you are they're starting to see the importance of it but they don't really know where to start and how to do it well maybe that's the way God wants to use you at the moment is, is you know, discipling, helping someone else to grow along that journey and, and better understand what things in their home and in their personal life need to be dealt with and put away and what things need to be brought into play. Um, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those things. Now, just, just so there's a little bit of um, two-way happening here. Can I have three different people, please, just just mention one of the things that came up you know, in their discussion or in their own reflection that they recognise as something that, that needs to be dealt with in their home. Now, I'm not, I'm not asking anyone to kind of expose any ugly family secrets or anything, but just something appropriate for this audience that is an encouragement to others and could be something that someone else didn't think of that came out of your reflection on these things that the dirt in the carpet type stuff. Yep, Jan? Yep, so, so Jan's talking about 
a situation where two parents have different views about how the children should be brought up. Yeah? yeah? Division. Now, we'll, we'll get to that. Thanks, Ray. Division. You know, like, I mean, Mary and I have experienced this many times at different points of view about how we should bring the kids up. And, and, you know, that's one of the things, not specifically about bringing kids up, but causing, where is it? Divide, causing people to argue and divide into separate groups. So if we find that evident in our home on reflection, we can work together to find a way to deal with the situations that come up as we're parenting our children without it being this. <laughs> because the devil's using the arguing and the division to break down the love between you. So that's a really good example. Sophie. Sarcasm? Yeah. We learn from the best ones. Right. And, you know, here's me. I, th this has been a real journey for me from 30 or 40 years ago. Ask Mary about me and sarcasm. It just came naturally out of, out of my mouth. I, you know, I, and I don't know where I learned it, but I cultivated it quite deliberately, and I had to deal with it. Now, how am I going? Thank you. <laughs> But it's a good example because if I allow that into my home through me, it's, it, I'm allowing that in me, that's dirt in the carpet, and, and there's all these little ears running around and they're all hearing it, and what are they learning? So what a fantastic example. One more. Resentment. Yep, yep. So that's stuff that's allowed to stay under the couch or in the carpet and, and never dealt with. That just builds up. All right. Someone here said something. Okay. Yep. All right, one more. Steve. Yeah, what's an example? Um, we had a situation where we had their best friend come up into our house and give this one of those speeches about why she should be allowed to live with her mum. Yeah, okay. So um, you, you are the gatekeepers of your home. You can decide who is allowed into your home and who is not. And there may be people that you ought not allow into your home because they are going to introduce these things into your home. And you've got the right to keep the door shut. Now, it could be, in the situation Steve describes, that you meet with them somewhere else and, and, and spend a bit of time with them and bring them, uh, this is part of being a disciple and encouraging others to be followers of Jesus, helping them to realise what's wrong with the way they're thinking and bring them on board. And there may come the day when they're perfectly welcome in your home because they've been on a journey and they've left things behind that need to be left behind. All right, look, I'm sure there's lots more here. Um, I just, as I say, work in progress. I really encourage you. This is not just idle chat. 
These, these are specific things that we can act on. All right. How about the other side of the ledger? Three different people with things they've come up with which you would like to give more time to or change something in your, in your personal life and in your home life that better promotes some of the fruits of the Spirit that are mentioned there. Anybody? Forgiveness. Right. Just keep practicing forgiveness. What does that look like in the home? And, and you forgive. And, and you just forgive in your heart or? Yeah. People, it, it's, it's, it's important that people hear that they're forgiven, isn't it? And then they learn, the, you know, like the little ears, they learn the importance of hearing those words, I forgive you. In the same way, if, 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 if they grow up in a home where forgiveness is often expressed, it actually becomes a whole lot easier <laughs> to confess. You know, so both of those things, the forgiveness reinforces the confession and the confession reinforces the forgiveness. If my kids confess to me what they've done wrong and we're trying to hide, it's a lot easier to forgive them than when they keep trying to hide it. It works both ways, so that's a good one. Something else. Speaking kindly, all right? What? Yeah, it's very easy just to snap, isn't it? <laughs> Plenty of the words that we use don't contain much kindness. And they can roll very easily off our tongue. Again, it's like the dirt that's ingrained in the carpet. You, you forget it's there. It becomes so unconscious that just these unkind words come out of your mouth or this unkind attitude comes out and you can it'll take a while because those things become so deeply ingrained that it's hard to shift them but once you decide that you want to shift them and you keep reinforcing that you'll you'll gradually get rid of it a bit like me and sarcasm all right one more Encouragement and, and appreciation. Yeah, yeah. So what, what words might that look like? Yep, yep. That's speaking words of, of, of appreciation in the home. Showing people that have done something for you. It might be your teenage son that's just mown the lawn without being asked. Don't let that go... Don't let that go unappreciated. <laughs> it might be, uh, you know, a 12-year-old daughter who's cleaned her room up without being asked. Take that opportunity to appreciate what's just happened. Because what's, what's the flip side of that one? How many times have I told you... <laughs> 
you know and so when it does actually happen make sure it's appreciated all right at once again we could go on for a long time about this and um i don't i don't want to do that but i do want to encourage you to to you know continue with this it's it's a constant lifelong process of improvement as we grow more into the likeness of christ all right i just want to finish by re-emphasizing the fact that it's not just this whole subject of the life of a disciple is not just about us following jesus it's about us engaging with others it's just so important that we get that point that i'm going to frustrate you by telling you again <laughs> um, but very quickly all right it goes all the way um all the way now all right that's where we've been today i want to ask a question this is the image that we've been using uh, to kind of characterize this series over the last many, many weeks. What do you think when you look at that young man? What, what, what do you see there? Yeah, he looks like he's despairing about something. What else can you see? He might be meditating. It's hard to tell, isn't it? It is, actually. He might be quite at peace or he might be quite troubled. It's hard to tell. What else can we see? He's got the Word of God in his hands. Yes. Anything else? He's sitting on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? What, there's one other thing I want to I see here. One other thing. Where's all the other people? He's alone. <laughs> all right, so... We're talking about the life of a disciple and this image is somewhat conflicted, isn't it? We don't really know whether he's at peace or troubled. We don't quite understand why he's portrayed as being alone, but he's holding on to the Word of God. And I just want to encourage everybody to realize that we're each as we're each living a life as disciples of God we have moments when we're at peace and we have moments when we're troubled and we have times when we feel very much alone and times when we're very conscious of being part of a body and that is part of the journey but we just need to look out for each other and not assume that because this person's holding the Bible they're okay <laughs> Um, and I look at that picture and I don't know what's going on in that young man's mind. How do I find out? I talk to him or and or. I ask God to show me. Show me, Lord. What, what ought I say and how? Discern, help me discern what's truly going on here. And so as we... Um, endeavour to support each other in this journey of um, tidying up the home, becoming better disciples in the home, we can encourage and support each other. We need to pray for God to help us discern what's really going on so that we can do that effectively. We also need to pray to God to show us what we need to do ourselves. And I just want to leave you with, um, with each of those things. And I'll close in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, first and foremost, that, that your word reveals to us the truth as you intend it to be. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us understanding of your word, Lord God, and that prompts us in our hearts and in our minds as to how we should respond to your word, Lord God. And I pray that for people who've um, been convicted of something this morning that needs to change, something that needs to be done away with, something that needs to be introduced and promoted, Lord, I pray that those convictions will stay with us through the week ahead, through your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Prompt us to act on the things that we've discussed and decided this morning, we pray, Lord God. And we thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross for us, that you paid the price for all the terrible sin that we've committed in our lives. You've paid the price for that and we can come before your Father alongside you, blameless, made right, acceptable unto him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And as we remember earthly sacrifice today on Anzac Day, we remember even more your sacrifice, that the blood you shed earned us freedom eternal. Not just freedom for a nation, and we celebrate that freedom, Lord, but freedom eternal. We are so grateful to you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for us. Now, I'm conscious that we haven't had communion yet, have we? So on that note, I mean, that's a very appropriate point at which to share communion. So if we could um, have the juice and the bread distributed, and if each table could just take communion in its own time, maybe someone would say a few words just to add to what I've just prayed, um, and that will be the end of the service. Thank you very much. Just while communion's being handed out, I was, I was reminded as Michael was preaching of a story I, uh, I heard years ago. Uh, a few months ago, uh, sorry, a few months before I was born, my dad met a stranger who was new to our small town. From the beginning, dad was fascinated with this enchanting newcomer and soon invited him to live with our family. The stranger was quickly accepted and was around to welcome me into the world a few months later. As I grew up, I never questioned his place in our family. Mum taught me to love the Word of God. Dad taught me to obey it. But the stranger was our storyteller. He could weave the most fascinating t tales. Adventures, mysteries and comedies were our daily conversations. He could hold our whole family spellbound for hours each evening. He was like a friend to the whole family. He took Dad, my brother and I to our first major, uh, major league baseball game. He was always encouraging us to see movies and told us stories of famous people and how they live their lives. The stranger was an incessant talker. Dad didn't seem to mind, but sometimes Mum would quietly get up while the rest of us were enthralled with one of his stories of faraway places and go to a room, read a Bible and pray. I wonder how she ever prayed with that, I wonder if she ever prayed that that stranger would leave. You see, my dad ruled our household with certain moral convictions but this stranger never felt an obligation to honour them. 
profanity, for example, was not allowed in our house, not from us, from our friends or adults. Our long-time visitor, however, used occasional four-letter words that burned my ears and made Dad squirm. To my knowledge, the stranger was never confronted. My dad was a, t- uh, was a teetotaler. He didn't permit alcohol into his home, not even for cooking. But the stranger felt he needed exposure to enlightened us in ways of life. He offered us beer and other alcoholic beverages often. He made cigarettes look tasty, cigars manly, and pipes distinguished. He talked freely, too much too freely, about sex. His comments were sometimes blatant, sometimes suggestive, and generally embarrassing. I know that my early concepts of the man-woman relationship were influenced by the stranger. As I look back, I believe it was a grace of God that the stranger did not influence us more. Time after time, he opposed the values of my parents, yet he was seldom rebuked and never asked to leave. More than 30 years have passed since the stranger moved, into our young, moved in with our young family. But if I were to walk into my parents' lounge today, you would still see the stranger sitting in the corner, waiting for someone to listen to him to watch him draw his pictures. His name, we called him TV. And I was thinking there are, there are things, and we were just talking about that at the table, it's so easy for things in life just to, just to come in bit by bit. Some of the dirt that just gets walked into the lounge, we allow a little bit here, a little bit there. And we don't always know it's there, we don't always pick it up. And the great thing with communion is this is a time where we say, God, I'm representing myself to you. And what, what better message today you know for us to follow this message with communion to say lord you know the things in my life you know the fruits of the spirit that that i want to see active god wants them in my life but i want them active in my life and there are times i need to actually hire a, a cleaner and go through my house and clean we all do and for us to say god is there anything in my life that you want to put your finger on David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. And we need to be in this place where we say, God, I want to do some, some house cleaning today. I want to do some spring cleaning. I want to I come to you again. I don't have to aim to be perfect. You don't have to aim to be like me. You have to aim to be like Jesus. So, God, what's one thing I can do today? What's one thing you want to put your finger on in my life today and Michael gave the story uh, a bit early on for those who have ever drawn up house plans when you don't get it right what do you do you change it what do you do before you change it remeasure yeah try again has anybody ever changed their plans why would you change thought of something better you keep dreaming. As you're doing house plans, you keep dreaming. And that's one of the problems with somebody who's a perfectionist. They just keep dreaming. I can do more. I can. There comes a point we have to say, I now need to act. And the great thing with, with our lives with God is we say, God, I want to keep dreaming. I want to be more like you. I want to be a man that just pursues you with everything. So today, help me see what you want me to see. Help me be what you want me to be. And so we've got this, this biscuit and this juice that represents the body and blood of Jesus. It reminds us of what he's done for us. It reminds us of the standard that we need to live by. So, Father, as we are in this place today, as we've, we've heard a message that is challenging, Father, we ask that you speak to us. 
Lord, we remind ourselves of your body broken for us, for our salvation. We remind ourselves that we were bought with a price. We remind ourselves that we are not our own. We belong to you. So, Father, lead us in everything we do. Help us be more and more like you every day in Jesus' name. Let's eat and drink. Father, again, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, we are so honoured to be your children. We are honoured to be able to serve you and live our lives for you. Your word says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You died to put things in place so that we can come back into right standing with you. And we are so thankful. We bless you, we praise you, we honour you. Lord, as we head out from this place today, we ask that you use us for your glory. Let our conversations be wholesome. Let us point people to Jesus. Let us live our lives and make choices that will help us to become more like you in all we do. We commit ourselves afresh to you again and thank you for all you've done in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Do it all you can do. One word, the mountains move. When you breathe.